0: Have you noticed that the pace we are living in is out of control? People are angry, they're anxious, they're lonely, wanting connection. Today we're going to talk about virtues in life that matter.
1: Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. I don't know where to go from here. It all used to seem so clear. I'm finding I can't do this on my own. I don't know. Go from here as long as I know that you are near, I'm done fighting, I'm finally letting go. I will trust in you. You've never failed before. I will trust in you if there's a road I should walk.
0: Welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Tim Clinton, President of the American Association of Christian Counselors. Today, our topic is the science of virtue. It's really about those issues in life that really matter, like wisdom, grace, and gratitude, forgiveness, humility. Yes, those things we need a lot more of. Our special guest today is Dr. Mark McMinn. He's a licensed psychologist and professor of psychology and director of integration in the Graduate Department of Clinical Psychology at George Fox University. He's written a number of books. Mark has spent a lot of his life focusing on the good things in life, things that we need, again, a lot more of. Mark, it's great to have you here on Life, Love, and Family.
2: Tim, thanks so much. I'm delighted to be with you.
0: I think today is a four-coffee day for me.
2: Yeah, four-coffee. <laughs>
0: It's absolutely been wild. And now we're going to slow it down and talk about virtues. Dial us in, Mark, your perspective on what virtues are and why they matter to us.
2: You know, I think from a Christian perspective, virtue really is the ability to love God and neighbor. It matters so much because this is the way Jesus taught us to live. And as you say, life can get so full, the the four coffee days, and that's good. That's a blessing, all the sort of various activities. I think of all the responsibilities you carry and what a blessing those things are to so many people. Yet at the same time, it's good to just step back sometimes and say, well, you know, where is the abundant life? Where is the life that I've always wanted to live? And that certainly can be a life of service, and it is a life of service, but sometimes it's a matter of stepping back and just taking perspective and appreciating and being grateful.
0: You know, Mark, so much of what we do is me-focused, And when you get lost in that me world, it'll gobble you up really fast. And you begin to realize at the end of it all, it really isn't about me.
2: Exactly. I was thinking just this week about Jesus hanging on the cross and in most intense agony that we could possibly imagine. And somehow Jesus has the capacity to look down and to see his mother, to be moved in love and to see the Apostle John standing there and say, please take care of her needs. What an amazing capacity to get beyond me and to think about the other. And we we see it in Jesus at that sort of moment of intense agony. What a great goal to aspire to ourselves, the ability to get our minds off of ourselves, to be less self-preoccupied and to see the other.
0: And I think also, Mark, For those who are moms and dads listening today, this program, I think, is going to have direct application to our kids, too, because there's probably not a parent out there who doesn't want to give their kids the best in everything. But at the end of the day, what are we really giving to them? What are the gifts that will take them through life that will carry them beyond, say, a new bat or a new glove? You hear what I'm saying, Mark?
2: Absolutely. We often ask that sort of proverbial question, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there's interesting data on that. The sort of number one response now we hear is a professional athlete. Well, I mean, that's great. I I know you have a son who's an amazing athlete. That's a great aspiration. Wouldn't it be fun sometimes to have a school child look you in the eye when you ask that question and say, when I grow up, I want to be incredibly kind and wise and humble and loving but we don't hear those responses because that's not the way we tend to think as a society. We tend to think more in terms of marketplace skills and less in terms of these, these sort of deeper qualities of virtue that we all aspire our kids to live into.
0: I remember, Mark, a few years back, uh, William Bennett, who was secretary of education at the time, made a statement similar to this. He said, nature hates a vacuum, and so does a kid's soul, a child's soul. And if we don't fill it with the noble sentiments of virtue— it'll be filled with something else. And I thought, well, that stopped me for a moment. It really is then about what really are we giving to them? What are we teaching them? What are we praying that they will grow up with that are the gifts that will carry them through not just a chaotic, but a painful, difficult world? Because they're going to hit the wall. They're going to face a lot of challenge in life. And these are the gifts here. These are the gifts, by the way, that Christ lived out before us, that we're taught in the scriptures that really matter, Mark?
2: I think that's exactly right. These are the gifts that sort of reach deeper into the soul and say, this is the abundant life. This is the way that we're called to live. And you're absolutely right. With our kids, we realize as much as we might want to protect them from the difficult things in life, we just can't. They're going to face hard times. And it's these virtues, these sort of deeper qualities that allow them to love God and neighbor that are going to carry them through those hardest moments in their lives.
0: You're listening to Life, Love, and Family. I'm Dr. Tim Clinton, your host. Our special guest today is Dr. Mark McMinn. He's a licensed psychologist, professor of psychology, and director of integration in the graduate program of clinical psychology at George Fox University. Mark's written a number of books. He spoke recently for us at our AACC World Conference on this very subject, nearly 7,000 counselors and pastors from all 50 states and somewhere around 40 foreign countries. But Mark, bringing this in, and I want to connect the science of virtue, and the theme of positive psychology for a moment, because I think it's important. I want our listeners to understand what you've been studying and how you connect all this back into the teachings of Scripture.
2: Great question. When the book came out, I had a colleague say, well, how does it feel to know you wrote the book on virtue? And I I, I quickly said, no, no, no. This is a book on the science of virtue. Uh, I certainly don't want to be identified as a paragon of virtue here. But the science of virtue actually goes back about 20 years to a fairly radical shift in one area of the scientific field of psychology, and that is a, a president actually of the American Psychological Association at the time announced that we have been studying what goes wrong with people for a long, long time, but why is it that we're not looking very much at what goes right with people? And almost overnight, there was this positive psychology that was born, and now we're 20 years into it. And part of the thing that amazes me is to see how many Christians have gotten involved in this research. I remember when, several decades ago, when I was getting my doctoral training, there was a sort of a war between psychology and the church. People at my church told me I shouldn't go into psychology because I would lose my faith. People in the field told me I couldn't be religious and be a scientist. So from both sides, I was getting this thing that said, no, you can't do this. Well, now... Most of the science I read, at least in the positive psychology area, is written by Christians. It's just amazing to see how this has been an area where Christians can enter in fully into the science and help the Church, I think, in that way by bringing science into the Church.
0: And Mark, when you mean bring science into the church, what you're saying is, here's what we're learning from research work that we're doing that validates the significance of these issues, right? Which really brings a beautiful, I don't even want to call it intersection. It's where we're anchoring this. It's a kind of poetry of seeing this come alive out of God's word as you see it unfold in the psychology discipline.
2: Yeah, and that's well put because these are things that Christians have cared about for centuries. I mean, the science is a newcomer here, right? Christians have cared about humility and forgiveness and gratitude for centuries and centuries, and we have a lot to offer this conversation. And sometimes I think the science, if it were left on its own, would again just sort of veer back towards self-interest. But the church can enrich that conversation by reminding us it's not just all about me. There's a rich tradition, a heritage of how we look at these virtues from a Christian perspective.
0: Mark, let's jump into a couple of these subjects. Really, I see it as a gift to all of us who are participating, listening today. Let's start with wisdom. We know in the book of Proverbs, you open up and it says, whoever gets wisdom, that's something special. But Mark, I think we live in a world where it's give me the facts and I'll make a decision. Give me the facts. But wisdom goes beyond a lot of that, doesn't it?
2: I had a student come into my office maybe five years ago and and say, I want to do a dissertation on wisdom. And what I told him is I don't think psychologists study wisdom. And he went to the library and proved me wrong. turns out that there's a lot of studies, a lot of science on wisdom over the last 20 years. And when you actually look at the definition, it's not bad, but it doesn't go to the depths that I think the Christian faith brings us to when we think about wisdom. So, So you mentioned Proverbs. In the process of supervising this dissertation that my student Paul um, ended up doing. We looked at that sort of wisdom in Scripture, that what the theologians will call conventional wisdom. We see that a great deal in the book of Proverbs. It's sort of how do you live a life that is full of common sense and good choices that makes a life rich and, and godly. But the other thing that we found is the theologians talk about something called critical wisdom, And this is more like what you see in the book of Ecclesiastes or in the teaching of Jesus, which is to say, yes, there's this common sense way to live, and we ought to live that way, but there's also a sense in which Jesus came and started asking some harder questions, thinking outside the box a little bit. Maybe there's a way to live that is different than the way you've always been taught, and it stirs things up a little bit, and it sort of plums the depth of what wisdom might look like in everyday life. Well, so for his dissertation, Paul and I ended up setting up a wisdom mentoring program in a local church, and it was just so much fun. We had uh, some wisdom mentors in the church working with young adults, and just seeing how those young adults came alive through this program was just a, was incredible and really rewarding to see. Hmm.
0: And we know that scripture out of James 1.5, if any of us lack wisdom, we can what?
2: Yeah, we can ask God, and God will grant it freely. What a beautiful promise, That we, because who among us doesn't lack wisdom, right? In every realm of existence, we face times of uncertainty, and we lack wisdom every day. So, absolutely. Mark,
0: what's the relational component here, meaning a lot of people, they don't have relational sensitivity or insight. I guess maybe it's because we're lost in the pace. Maybe it's the technology age that's going on. A lot of people just don't see, they don't have the gift of empathy uh, toward others very well anymore. What do you think's keeping us from going there? What do we need to do about it, too?
2: Well, I read a book a few years ago uh, that's really been influential for me. It's a book by a New York Times columnist, uh, David Brooks, called The Road to Character. And he starts the book by making a distinction between what he calls eulogy virtues and resume virtues. So a eulogy virtue is something that you might say at someone's memorial service. This person was incredibly gracious. They were wise. They were kind. They were humble. A resume virtue tends to be more a marketplace skill, which you might say about someone who's building a resume. This person's very hardworking. They uh, show up on time. Brooks makes the point that we live in a time where we tend to value and talk more about resume virtues than we do eulogy virtues. It's just the way that our society has sort of become as we tend to think about the marketplace. And I think your question about the relational dimensions of this really strike at the heart of that because we tend to think about how to market ourselves, how do we be better in the workplace. We tend not to think about what it means... To move into those deep relational places with one another where these eulogy virtues, these qualities of what it means to be most fully alive and most fully human, those are the things that really come to play in our relationships.
0: Uh, We talked about wisdom, Mark. Let's jump to forgiveness. Again, these are topics that Dr. McMinn has covered in his book, The Science of Virtue. I see them as gifts to us. These are the things, again, that we need to be focused on in our everyday life. What a great gift we give as parents to our kids if we can just focus on and make sure they're absorbing this, that process of osmosis almost. But Mark, talk to us about forgiveness. I think forgiveness is so kind of misunderstood in Christianity.
2: And forgiveness is at the heart of what it means to be Christian. It's right in the center of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And there's been now over 3,000 studies on forgiveness. So in the Science of Virtue, I want to celebrate that. It's a wonderful thing. It's We now know that forgiveness will lower your blood pressure, it'll help your bad cholesterol. There's even a recent study that shows people who have forgiven recently can jump a little bit higher than other people. Really? It's really good for us to forgive. But if you listen to what I just said, I just made it about me again, right? If I forgive someone else, then I'm going to be healthier.
0: Yeah, I'm canceling think, the debt. I'm, I'm getting rid of, it's like swallowing poison. Those are the lessons that you teach that you, you want to get it away from you. You need to forgive for yourself.
2: For yourself, And we get this message, and it's made it into the popular media. We get this is the idea that we're supposed to forgive someone because I need to get rid of this. I need to move on with my life. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but it's not a complete thing. I think the Christian message has always been about forgiving as we have been forgiven. It's not simply a self-help strategy. It's because God has forgiven each of us so deeply, so richly, so regularly that we then are called to live a life of forgiveness also out of obedience as well as out of self-care.
0: We forgive because, again, we've been
2: forgiven. We've been forgiven. And that is at the center of our faith. We have been forgiven. So the story that Jesus tells, the parable about forgiving this great debt, and then the person who has been forgiven then goes out to someone who owes a little bit of money to him, and he sort of grabs them by the throat and says, I want my money back. That's not the way to live. The way to live is to extend to others the forgiveness that we've been granted.
0: We're talking today about the science of virtue, issues in our life that we need to focus a whole lot more on. Our special guest is Dr. Mark McMinn. He, again, is a licensed psychologist, professor of psychology at George Fox University. Mark's written a number of books, but, again, he's spent a lot of his life on these issues that matter to the core of our being and they're gifts that we give also to our children. Mark, one of those subjects in here is gratitude or thankfulness. Showing appreciation in your life, why is gratitude being researched and studied so much now?
2: There was a study, actually, in the early part of the 21st century, 2003, I believe, was the year it was published, that sort of shook the scientific world. And so it's made its way into the mainstream, both of science and in popular media. This was actually done by a couple Christian men who work at different universities, major universities, research universities, and they recruited these participants to start keeping gratitude journals. And the control group, they didn't write down gratitude, they wrote down things that were sort of hassling them in their daily life. And it was fascinating to see that all the expected results, the group in the gratitude journaling group, they showed all the expected results in terms of being less depressed and more optimistic and more hopeful. And by the way, I should mention, this was done with random assignment, which is sort of the gold standard in science. It means you really can determine cause and effect. The gratitude journaling was causing these good mental health outcomes. But the thing that the researchers weren't expecting was that it also had effects on physical health. The people that kept the gratitude journals went to the doctor less. They slept better. They slept more. Uh, They woke feeling more refreshed. So the gratitude journaling was not only having the expected mental health benefits, it was having physical benefits. And we've seen this showing up in research since then as well. So that really put gratitude on the map. Suddenly everyone was interested in gratitude as a health behavior. And it turns out it really does make a difference.
0: I'm thinking of the scriptures like in everything, what? Give thanks.
2: Yes, in everything.
0: Yes. uh, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God.
2: Yeah. I also think of the one in Colossians 2 where Paul writes about letting our roots grow down deep into Christ. And then at the end of that verse, and we will be overflowing with gratitude, with thankfulness as a result.
0: Kind of an attitude of gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like people are not very grateful. They're not very thankful. I know I look around in my everyday life and you wonder, where's the appreciation?
2: I think it's easier to be angry, and it takes more time, a little more discipline to stop and to be grateful. To look at the skies and realize that the clouds are never going to be in exactly that same formation again. That there's this gift of this present moment that God gives us over and over every day. And just to be mindful of it, just to be aware of it, just to enter into that moment of gratefulness. And it's so easy to get distracted and to not think about those things.
0: Mark, in your book, you talk also about humility. Of course, we think of Christ in Philippians 2 when he emptied himself. Don't you like being around people who they're not proud, they're not arrogant? There's something about them that's wired into their DNA. And their sense of humility is just such a refreshing gift to be around.
2: And even in the way you frame the question, Tim, I know that you are uh, experienced at at this. And as a counselor who who sort of sees this, because the way you frame the question really strikes at the heart of what humility really is. I think sometimes we get confused when we think humility is somehow thinking terrible thoughts about yourself or putting yourself down or being self-deprecating. That's not what a Christian understanding of humility is. It it really is an accurate view of ourselves so that we can get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes onto the other. So it's not so much about me, whether I'm desperately terrible or whether I'm wonderfully good. That's just not the focus. It's I'm comfortable enough with myself that I can look at the other.
0: We're battling the clock here, but I want to touch hope and grace, too. Hope's a beautiful thing, Mark. When you have hope, it changes kind of the game. And I know that verse says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you lose hope, it's dark.
2: Oh, my goodness. The number one predictor of suicidal intent is not depression like people think. It's hopelessness. It's when people lose hope that they become most inclined to take their lives and or to want to take their lives. And so the Christian message has always been a message about hope. I I used to teach a class with a theologian uh, back when I taught at Wheaton College, and he was so helpful to me. And one of the things he said over and over, he said, as a Christian, we never have the right to give up hope. Hope is at the center of what we believe. And there's some interesting science on hope, and it's good, but when I look at the science on hope, a lot of it seems to be about willpower. Going back to one of your earlier questions, I think the Christian view of hope is always a relational view of hope, that the hope we find is in our relationship with God and our relationship as communities of Christ, that that's where we find hope, not so much in our own willpower, but in the relational dimensions of loving God and others.
0: I want to squeeze one more in, Mark, before we're done, and it's the issue of grace. The older I get, the more I realize that we're really recipients of grace. Every day is a gift from God. As I was going through your work, Mark, you were excited about how psychology is now looking at researching and talking about grace, which is like, wow, where would that come from? But what a great step forward in a new direction.
2: Absolutely, and there is, as you say, there is a sort of new enthusiasm and excitement about a science of grace. Right now we're doing a study where we're just asking people, to write their experiences of grace, grace from God and grace from others. And we have, at this point, about 85 respondents in both groups. And I was just looking through those responses the other day. People have rich experiences of grace, and we can learn from these experiences. And and so it's fun to see that the science is starting to look at this experience that's so important in terms of how we understand our lives as Christians.
0: Mark, you spent a lot of time putting together work and research around this book on virtue. On a personal level, what has it done for you? I mean, how has it ministered to you? Maybe how has it changed you in your everyday life?
2: Yes, yeah, so what, a, what a wonderful question. Thank you for thinking to ask that one, Tam. I, I spoke at our church this past Sunday. And it was on This topic and I was thinking about the very question I think it has made me more aware of the gifts that every day brings you know in writing about the science of virtue part of it was about the science but part of it was just learning to be aware just to take notice of these good things that life has to offer even in the midst of stress and pain and challenge there is still good to be found helping me have eyes to see and ears to hear. And that I think writing the book has been a part of that process for me.
0: Mark, would you take a moment just to our listeners, give them that takeaway piece. If there's one thing you remember from today's broadcast, it's this.
2: I want to go back to sort of the center of the broadcast, right in the middle, and you ask a question about the relational nature of virtue. And I think that's probably what I'm going to leave with a pretty powerful sense of that question, that everything we believe, everything we do in the Christian world comes down to relationship. And I go back to what Jesus said when some religious leaders were trying to trick him, and they said, what's the most important law in the Old Testament? And he had such a brilliant answer. He said, it's that you love God as, as your whole being, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That is the essence of virtue. It's a relational essence.
1: I'm myself looking into the mirror. Knew I wasn't who I wanted to be. I was living life the way that I wanted. But my eyes reminded me I'm not free. Believe the last soul, everything that I know. Says I gotta go, tired of going solo. But I'm never gonna go there again. This is what it is. This is who I am. This is where I'm validated.
0: Special guest again today has been Dr. Mark McMinn, psychologist, professor at George Fox University. He's the author of a new book called The Science of Virtue, Why It Matters to You and to the Church. I think if you were dialed in, you understand that a lot of what Mark was talking about are those things that really do matter, that we need a whole lot more of, that our kids need a whole lot more of. And I agree with William Bennett. If our kids aren't taught those principles, their hearts are going to soak up a whole lot of other things. Here's what's beautiful. God wants to work in and through you to influence them to be more like him. That's your calling as a mom and dad. In our everyday life, God wants to work in our lives because it really isn't about us. It's about God at work in and through us. You're a gift to those around you, a fragrance of Christ in their everyday life. I want to challenge you. How about dialing that in a little bit more? Let God do a good work in your life and through your life. That's why we come to you every day on this station because we care about you and your relationships, your relationship with God and those you love the most. For more information, hey, we'd love to be a part of your life. Visit us at life love and That's our website life love and or feel free to call us toll free 855 855- Four five five three two six four. You can learn a lot more about Dr. Mark McMinn, the science of virtue, and a whole lot of other resources, prior radio programs, other ways of connecting us with you in your everyday
2: life. Thanks for listening.
1: Life, love, and family.
2: America's number one Christian residential treatment program, Honey Lake clinic specializing in addiction depression anxiety bipolar ptsd staffed by
0: nationally recognized psychiatrists and psychologists a team of mds and 24-hour nursing care a 600-acre scenic sanctuary of unmatched beauty honey lake clinic most insurance accepted scholarships available phone 844-747-7772 online honeylake.clinic